Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. As usual in coming in, quite often I should say, in coming into a situation like this, we kind of catch the writer, in this case Paul, we kind of catch him in uh, in mid-thought. But in praying, the Lord made adjustments as I was going through and seeking and seeking God's will in this. Again, you know, sometimes we make much of our opinions. We might make much of other people's opinions. We need to make much of Christ. He's seeking to teach us. I, I, I woke up, got up early this morning, and 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 under conviction and just asking the Lord, Lord, you know, I, I know you're trying to teach me some things. What is it that maybe you're talking to me about right now? And you just get to meditating. And, and suddenly I remembered it was a year ago this morning. A year ago this morning at about five o'clock in the morning, I had just spoken with a nurse, most of the nurses turned out they made professions of salvation. They had made professions of salvation, the nurses that I had uh, down there uh, at, um, oh, what was Mercy General, Mercy General. And there was one, there was one nurse, especially his name was Andre, from the Ukraine. Great Christian guy. We had a great guy talking. We had a great time talking. And uh, he had just left. And I said, okay, Lord, and many of you have possibly heard this story, but uh, I said, okay, Lord, you're, you've got me here for a reason. What are you trying to teach me? They had just brought someone into the room right next door to me. I hadn't, it hadn't been three, excuse me, I hadn't been five minutes. I had, pr- I, I had prayed that prayer, and all of a sudden, I hear, you got a pulse, you got a pulse, you got a pulse, and all of a sudden, code blue, code code blue. And man, they came running from everywhere. And, you know, I I had just prayed that. And so I did something stupid. I got out of bed and just kind of made my way, stumbled over to the the door. And there were four nurses across the wall on the other side and I said, hey, I've just been praying for you guys. And you know how it is, or maybe some of you understand, when you've been in that kind of a situation, your emotions are right there at the top. You know, you, you pray, or excuse me, you cry, you know, just like that. And, and I looked around the corner in the room next to me, and I'm telling you, there had to be at least a dozen people, probably more in there, and they're pumping this individual's chest. It's like, oh, my soul, what in the world going on? Well, this, this nurse came. He kind of took me and guided me back into the room and closed the door. I, I you know, got back into bed, and I just started praying for that individual. And again, you know, the, the tears just kind of start flowing. It, it just, you've been through that. Andre came back in, and I said, what was going on next door? What's... He says, well, we, we can't really tell you. I said, I don't want name, nothing. I just, you know, I've been praying for this individual. What, you know, what was going on? 
About an hour later, a nurse walked into my room, had a piece of paper in her hand. She dropped it on my chest and walked out. I looked at it. It's a young man in his 30s was in the ICU that morning, brought in, came up and was put in my room, excuse me, next to my room, and suddenly went into cardiac arrest. They got him back down to ICU, and he was dead within an hour. And I just laid there and cried and said, Lord, I know what you're trying to tell me. The world is on code blue. People are dying, and they are dying. And we have the gospel. And we need to make much of Jesus. We need to make much of Christ. You know, if we're not careful, listen to me. If we're not careful, the subtle one will take us and get us going down places where he will do his worst to take our testimony, distort it, destroy it, have the world mocking us. Listen, I'm not going to go into detail, but just this last week, a pastor in New England, in an independent Baptist church, King James, all that, I heard a couple of messages, snippets of messages that he preached. They were good. He preached the gospel. But for five years, the police in the area were investigating him for things that he was downloading in his computer. And it was wicked. It was beyond wicked. And they finally arrested him this last week. By the way, can I say something to the men in here? Men... If you're having a problem with anything along that line, number one, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to stop. Number two, we can help and we don't spread it around what the problem is, but we can help. And by the way, for what it's worth, any member of this church in good standing can come and look at my iPad, my phone, and my computers anytime if you want to see what's on there. And I can see what's on your computer. Amen? You know, I praise God. There's a gentleman in this church right now came to me and said, Pastor, I'd like for you to get a report on what goes on on my computer said, you got it. And every day I get a report on what goes on on his computer. That's called character. I praise God for that. But guys, Satan wants to destroy our testimonies. And right now, the gospel is being mocked in New England because of somebody who knew they were checking him out. And he didn't stop to the point that when he was arrested, he had a couple of uh, thumb drives in his pocket with material on it. That's bad. 
And he was preaching the gospel. All that time. When we make much of Christ, we've got to make much of what Christ does in us. Philippians chapter 1. Let's go to verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Chapter 2, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, we do pray in Jesus' name that you would work a work now. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. If I could encourage you to do this while we're here, by God's grace, I'd love, I, I want so much for us to uh, glean from the Scripture here. I pray that, again, that we've brought good soil, but also if we could do this, for some reason, that guy that gets a lot of attention calling us, his name is Scam Likely, he likes to call around this time. Let's make sure our phones are silenced. Paul has been speaking here about his need to minister to the church at Philippi, and that they very much need his ministry. So for that reason, he had a desire, the scripture says, and we're not going to go back to it, he had a desire to remain on earth. 
hey, to be with the Lord is far better, but to you, with you, it's needful. So he came to them with this thought. Listen, all-encompassing, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, that word conversation is interesting there. Right now, when we think of conversation, we think of discourse, we think of people talking between two people. But when our Bible was what was translated, it meant more than that. It meant behavior. In fact, the word that is trans that that this word comes from that's translated here is where we get our word political or politic. And it refers to this. It refers to the public duties upon a man as a member of a body. Paul used that, that word in Acts 23 when he <coughs> talked about this. I have lived in good conscience before God unto this day. The words have lived are the translation of that Greek word. Paul is saying, in effect, in using this word, this, I have fulfilled all the duties upon me as a member of the nation of Israel in its relationship to God. Now, the people in Philippi would understand this. Philippi was a colony of Rome. The atmosphere in a city outside of Rome, the atmosphere in a city that was a colony, people would know, not only the citizens, but people outside, would understand that being a colony, it has the flavor of Rome. Its laws, its customs, everything. It would mirror what went on in the capital of Rome. The Apostle Paul used the noun form, again, of this verse, of this word, in chapter 3, verse 20, when he says, for our conversation is in heaven. He would be saying this, the commonwealth of which we are citizens has its fixed location in heaven. Now, are you catching that? When we sing that song, this world is not my home, we mean it. This world is not my home. Christians are citizens of heaven. Our responsibility here, more than anything else, is to represent Christ. That's why when we think of being in Christ, and as we see later on having the mind of Christ, we go along that path not on the, not on the, the works of the flesh or the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We represent our sovereign king. Our sovereign king. Look again at verse 27 then. Only let your conversation, so your citizenship, 
that which you do, because you are a citizen of heaven, let your manner of life, your behavior, the citizenship that reflects not being an American, but being a citizen of heaven. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye, number one, stand fast. The Lord has given us ground. We are citizens of heaven. We stand as citizens of heaven. Don't give it up. I said, don't give it up. Somebody's going to try to come and pull it out from under you. Don't give it up. Listen, I recognize that as an American, I love this nation. I love this nation. I have been in the military. I would fight for this nation, but more than anything else, I would fight for Christ. We all would. We all ought to. And there's something that we need to see here about this. He says, first of all, stand fast. And we're supposed to do that in one spirit. Now listen, we all have different backgrounds. Okay? Listen, we all have different backgrounds. But we are here in the Word of God because we need to be changed by Him. You following me so far? This is what we do. We get together in the Word, and we don't, while we're getting together, just go, well, I'm just different than you are. Yeah, we're different. But our God is here to change us. Are you, are you listening? We are to, number one, stand fast in one spirit. The word spirit here refers to the unity of spirit, a disposition or influence which fills and governs the soul of anyone. The Holy Spirit comes to help us reflect that spirit. What is it? The spirit of a citizen of heaven. That means we don't, listen, we love each other. We don't fight each other. We pray for each other because we're citizens of the same city. Are you, are you following me so far? Not only are we to stand fast in that, we are to strive in that. Look again, if you would please, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together. Now, that word is where we get the word athletic or athlete. It has the idea of this. It's not where we're all individuals, but we are of the same team. We are striving together. We all have people that we're praying for. We pray for each other in that. There are people that we have talked about, people that need Christ, people that are in struggles right now. Folks, it's hard. I, I'm, I, I think I told you last week that I got word 
from an evangelist that's been here, and he made the statement, he's amazed at how God's people are struggling. It's going on right now like that in this world, even in this nation. We are not to be looking at one another and judging each other. I just don't know about Brother Mike Hale. You know, I praise God that he's back here, but I'm telling you, anybody that will drive an old Chevy truck like that, I'm being silly, but you know, seriously. By the way, let's watch the gossip. Let's watch the attitudes. In other words, let's listen to the Word of God here. Striving together for what? So we can look good in front of the world? Absolutely not. Striving together, how? For the faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel. Now, you do that, the world isn't going to like you, right? The world is not going to enjoy being confronted by sin. Remember when Mike Huckabee was running for president? And he, I forget what it was that was taking place But he told people, he said, listen, this nation doesn't have this kind of a problem or this kind of a problem. This nation has a sin problem. And people mocked him for saying that. Did you hear that? He says, we've got a sin problem. How many of you locked the door to your house this morning? Double lock. How many of you have an alarm at your house? How many of you have keys to your car? We have a sin problem. We have a sin problem. And I'm amazed at how we are so reticent when I say we. I I need to uh, qualify that. I'm talking about people in this world, in this nation. We're so reticent to admit that you know what? It's all going on right here. It's not the gun's fault, it's the person's fault. See? Look at verse 28. You strive, you stand fast and you strive, guess what's going to happen? And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, and if you share the gospel, you will, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that of God. Now, the adversaries are the adversaries of the gospel. I, 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 I love, I remember when I was in, um, when I was in construction, I really got into word studies. I loved it. I, I got different things and, you know, there's Vincent and Weist and others, you know, I just, just would start getting into words. And that's what got me really studying the Bible after college of all times. You know, again, when I was doing concrete, but just came home and and got in the books, the word that translates evident token, that phrase evident token there, it's a Greek law term. It denotes proof obtained by an appeal to facts. The failure of the saints to be terrified by the antagonism of their adversaries was clear evidence to convince these pagans 
They were on the road to destruction. Now look at that verse again. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which to them, which is to them an evident token of perdition, their destruction, but to you of salvation and that of God. God is there putting his stamp on this. The people down through history that have suffered for Christ have been a token against those that were trying to bring accusation to people, God's people, and they failed miserably. I forget, you know, sometimes I wish I, I will use an illustration. Oh, I've got to remember where I put that, and then I forget. Go figure. But there was one man that was getting ready to be uh, destroyed. He was going to die at the stake. He was going to burn at the stake. And the magistrate in that city that was reading the sentencing was stumbling and struggling. And God's man who was standing there spoke up and said, Sir, you are more fearful to give this sentence than I am to receive it. That's exactly what was being said there, what was going on right there. A man by the name of Lightfoot, when it, came, when it came to this passage, says this. This is good. He finds an illusion in accord with striving together to the sign of life or death given by the populace in the amphitheater when a gladiator was vanquished by turning the thumbs up or down. The Christian gladiator, he is saying, does not anxiously await that sign of life, that signal of life or death from a fickle crowd. The great dictator, Jesus Christ himself, he himself has given him a sure token of deliverance. God is looking at us and he's saying, I'm awaiting you. But while I await you, I will give you everything that you need. My grace is sufficient. My presence will never waver. My power is there to deliver you. And I have your back. I praise God for that. This was alluded to by Jude in verse 3 of Jude. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. So he says, stand. He says, strive together. And then he says, you know what? You will suffer. Look at verse 29. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, you might be tempted to think, oh, this, I'm going to go out there and somebody's going to go, boom! No, that's, no, no. I don't know what the struggle would be. I don't know what the suffering would be. And you don't either. We just know this, that as thy days so shall thy strength be. Whatever it is that God has for us 
in the future, He will be with us. Amen? He will be standing with us. He didn't take the three Hebrew children out of the flame. He got in there with them. And it terrified the king. I see four people, and one is like the Son of God. That's what he was just talking about in verse 28. So again, let's not cringe and think, where could this all lead to? Because I tell you what, you get to looking at what's going on, and there are all kinds of variables, and a lot of them there, they could be, to the world, they're terrifying. But to us, we know this. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That's where we're at right now. Verse 30, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Paul knew it. And the Lord told us in John 15, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. By the way, rejoice in that. The whole world is not going to be angry with you. There will be some people that come up and say, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think for the most part, people in here in this room right now, they stand with the Lord. I hope and pray so. Praise God for that. It hurts, and we've had it before where there were people that are in here, they didn't want what was being preached from the pulpit, and they didn't want what was being shared with people around them. That's sad when that happens. That's so sad. I read recently, and this was stunning to me, in the 4th century, there was a council known as the Nicene Council. Now, I'm not going to go into that right now. You can read about it later on if you so desire. But somebody made this observation. Of the 318 men that were there at the Nicene Council, 318, only about 12 of them, of the 318, only about 12 of them had not lost an eye or a hand or gone lame on a leg because of persecution out of 318. The gospel has always cost God's people. Always. It's costing God's people right now. But you talk to them and they'll say, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Martin Luther wrote this. He said, if we consider the greatness and the glory of the life we shall have when we have risen from the dead, it would not be difficult at all for us to bear the concerns of this world. If we believe the word, I shall on the last day after the sentence has been pronounced, not only gladly have suffered ordinary temptations, insults, and imprisonments, but I shall also say, oh, that I did not throw myself under the feet of all the godless for the sake of the great glory which I now see revealed. 
and which has come to me through the merit of Christ. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It will be worth it all. And I praise God for that. Now, very quickly, go to chapter 2. We're going to go through this quickly. If there be any consolation of Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now this, this verse is fascinating because there's a buildup to what he's going to be saying in verse 2. Very quickly, the word if there, since in view of the fact there be any consolation in Christ, comfort, a word which comes to the side of one to stimulate or comfort him, fellowship, a mutual and active participation in the things of God. He's, he's saying this to the people at Philippi. He's appealing to the Philippians. If each saint is interested in the things of the Spirit, listen, this, this is what we've got here. The trouble in the Philippian church was that all the saints were not living Spirit-filled lives. The Spirit was there, but they're not seeking the Spirit. If we're going after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life, we don't understand what the Spirit is trying to say to each of us. If the Holy Spirit was in charge of each of us, boy, what a unity that would be. He's saying, since we have this situation, the potential here, he says, do this. Look at verse 2. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Folks, listen, we've got to recognize this. The harder things get, the more difficult things get, the more that which is inside that we don't really want in us will start coming out. We read the book of Acts and it's fun to read, but we keep it at a distance. We don't like hearing about people selling all that they had and coming together because this is what they had to do in order to survive. But that could get to that point. I don't think there's going to be a time where we're going to wind up having cots all through the auditorium, but it could be. Seriously. He says, listen, since we've got this Holy Spirit that has created the, the comfort, the fellowship, the bowels of mercy and mercies. He says, instead, let's do this. Look at verse 3. Let, let nothing, excuse me, verse 2, I'm sorry. Fulfill, me, but fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The Holy Spirit brings that, that unity of affection, one accord. He says, please, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let, let's not be looking uppity. There's a story told about Charles Evans Hughes. Here was a man who was appointed the chief justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, the chief justice. He moved to Washington and transferred his membership 
to a local Baptist church there. His father had been a Baptist pastor, and he was a dedicated, godly man of Christ. He had been a lifelong witness of his Lord. He just lived it. In this particular church, it was the custom. They would have people, after a while, people that had joined the church, to come forward. So they that Sunday morning, they invited people one at a time to come forward to be recognized as being new members of the church. The first one that was recognized was a man who had just moved from San Francisco. He owned a laundromat. He took over a laundromat in Washington, D.C. He came up and he lined up on one side of the auditorium. Then other people were recognized. They came forward and they started lining up on that side of the auditorium. Two, three, six, eight, finally a dozen people, and they were all over here, and the man who owned the Chinese laundromat was over here. And then they called on the chief justice of the Supreme Court, and he came, and he went right for that corner right there. You know, the ground is level at the cross. It's also level in the sky. We need to remember that. And so Paul starts instructing us. He says, look not, look at verse 4. Look not every man on his own thing but every man also on the things of others. Now he's carrying, he's carrying over an attitude from the previous verse, but he is making a way to what he is about to emphasize in verse 5. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. One year our theme was simply this, others. Again, this is something that we need to remember. The ground is level. I have, a, I have a book in my library from somebody by the name of Peggy Noonan who was involved in the presidency of Ronald Reagan. She was in, she was in New York when September 11th took place. Two days after it happened, she went there to ground zero. Here she was. She was a writer, very well known in, the, in, in a previous administration. Here she was, and here came these trucks, fire trucks, other kind, filled with construction workers, electricians, firemen, policemen. And as they were coming, everybody was applauding. We love you. Great. Thank you. She said she started looking around and she was amazed. She said out there applauding these people that at other times would be almost considered nobodies. There were people out there that were bank executives, heads of corporations, heads of newspapers, people that would be considered somebodies, 
And they were applauding these people. And she suddenly realized, we're not the somebodies. We're the nobodies. They're the somebodies. Look at what they're doing. You know what? We're going to get to heaven. And God is going to recognize who the people were that really pulled the weight. This ministry is not about Mike Rogers. This ministry is about God and how he uses people. And I'm telling you, there are people that have been in this fellowship that will far outshine anybody that has stood behind this pulpit because they, in their life, were living for God, no holding back. They were the somebodies. They were the somebodies. Look at verse 5 now. And this is where we're going to end this morning. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here we are. We're, we're halfway through this passage that we're looking at. And the Apostle Paul, on a lead up to this, says, listen, let me ask you. You need to recognize this. You need to have, and the Bible speaks of it elsewhere, the mind of Christ. Question. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? What does it mean? Now remember, we have talked about some things before. We've talked about the seed that gets into the heart. What, what it, you know, what it means. Not choked out, you know, not burned up. You know, it, it, we're, God is looking for fruit. We've also thought about this. Lord, thy will be done. And indeed, thy will be done. So, when we think of the fruit, and we think of God's will being done, and his will is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Book of Colossians. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? And it, and it begs this. Are we willing to take on the work that makes our mind like his. Just real quick, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? Well, if you look back in the Gospels or elsewhere concerning the record of Christ and what was spoken about him, you find this out. To him, to Christ, he had no reputation. Zechariah chapter 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the coal, uh, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Can you imagine? Here comes Christ in today. He's not riding in that fancy Cadillac that's really a truck like our president does. <laughs> He's riding in one of our pickup trucks there, brother. That's the Lord? Yeah, that's him. That's him. Not only did he not mind when it came to his reputation, he was humble. He said this in Luke 22, For whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat 
but I am among you as he that serves. He was obedient. Did you hear that? He was obedient. John 8, 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. In other words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now remember, this is the mind of Christ. He was compassionate. He had compassion on people. He healed them. He wept for them. He was forgiving. Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, my soul. He was busy doing God's work. Twelve years of age, he told his parents. How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? He was challenging others. One thing thou lackest, he said to the rich young ruler. He was prodding, helping people to recognize what was important for eternity. Sympathetic. Matthew 11, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Prayerful. Told Peter, I have prayed for thee. Steadfast, he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. He surrendered himself to his Father's will. That's how he taught us to pray. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He was a servant to others. Matthew 20. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, what we need to do is we need to take the attitude, thy will be done. Make sure that as we're daily reading God's word, it finds good soil. Oh, we've trusted Christ. The word, the gospel found soil there. Praise God. But the soil needs to be maintained. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. But like we sing, I know who holds the future. Amen? Now, folks, look around you. By the way, I want, I want, I want, to, I want to do something right now. If you were not in this church a year ago, if you were not here in this church a year ago, would you please stand? If you were not in this church a year ago, would you please stand? And there's more. The Selbys aren't here right now. They're down in Lancaster. Now, if you were here a year ago, but you really weren't here a year ago, because, no, I'm just kidding. Thank you, you may be seated. A church is always in a state of flux. We're, we're, we're go- there's people coming and going. We rejoice in that. We praise God for that. But whoever it is that comes within these four walls and kneels before our God, 
This is the point. We are together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so we need to have the mind of Christ. And as we're going to see next Sunday, it's for the glory of God the Father. None of us deserves what we have in the Lord. I don't deserve to be back here. I mean, we're looking around and we're seeing a whole lot of God's mercy and grace that has taken place. But don't you love the fact that God loved us? And he's willing to use us. So by God's grace, we look around and go, man, I can't believe what's going on. I can't either. But God's in charge. So for his glory, let's live what he has given us to live. Let's keep praying for each other. How many of you have a burden right now really on your heart? Raise your hand now. Look at that. Look at that. They're all over the place. All over the place. Let's stand. I'm going to ask those of you that just raise your hand, you've got a real burden on your heart. There's something that you're really struggling with. If you want us to pray right now and just, you know, come on. Come right down here to the front. Come right, right down here to the front. You've got a burden. There's something that's on your heart. You come. Now, for those of you that are still there, be praying, because this next week might be your turn. might be my turn. We have something right now that we're praying for. Oh, mercy. Heavenly Father, 